Hello, you beautiful people. Welcome to another show. Now, today is about determination, lending, and music copyright. So if that's your thing, then you're in the right place. On today's show, I'm talking to a friend of mine, Andrew Michael. He was a strong pillar for me when I was setting up my own label. It was a great process. I learned a lot. And I think someone out there might gain something from what he has to say. Today, we go in on his story and how he got to be in the position he is now, his ethos and his new ventures. Let's go. All right, Andrew, thanks for joining me today. We bumped into each other at a very unique point in my career. I'd done five albums with Sony, sold millions of albums. And I was thinking, do I go to another label? Do I take these meetings or do I go it alone? And it's not easy to go it alone. It's not that obvious, especially when you need to find out, um, find out the information yourself and connect the dots. So reaching out to you and you providing uh, a credit line, so to speak, for me to then explore, make mistakes and create the album that I wanted to make at that time and make it into a good business yep. was a, a very important step for me. So I thought you're the type of person that a lot of people would like to hear from because you, for me anyway, did what I think a lot of people who want to go it alone need or want. Right. Yeah. They'll be able to take something from this and maybe put it into their journey, you know? Okay. Uh, so more importantly, before we get down to the business, I want to talk about this beard that I'm seeing on you. You never used to have a beard and now you have a beard. What's going on there? Um, I guess I call this my COVID beard. Your COVID beard. After after five or six months of lockdown. Yeah. Um, just before lockdown, I had a beard. But since then, you know, yeah. I've worked from home and it's just grown and grown and grown and grown. So have you been pruning this yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah. I use, yourself? I use, All you... I use clippers like once yeah. a week. And use berries nice. and juices. It looks like, it looks very healthy. <laughs> um, beard oil. Beard oil, beard okay. Oil. Yeah, it's See? the way forward. See, maybe I need to dip my whole face in beard oil because I'm one of those guys, I can't grow a beard for love nor money. It grows a little bit, but it's kind of like, you know, like you're 17, 18, uh, just getting through puberty. Oh, little tufts of hair here and there. <laughs> it's not like a man beard, like the one you've got. So I'm, I'm kind of jealous. And I, I also, I think it's a designer beard because I can see it's like, it's a very unique, I don't know if you styled it like that or not, but there's a there's a nice kind of like thick line of white going down the middle, and then there's brown on either side. I'd say on on either yeah, side. That, and the white that's called old age. That's called uh, <laughs> it's designer gray. old age. I, I know you say white, but it's actually yeah. gray. Yeah, um, oh, gray. Oh, but yeah. you know, I appreciate the. Uh... No, it looks good. It looks good. Well done. Well done on the beard pruning. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, all right. So obviously we met when we did, but for you, where did um, where did your journey in getting to uh, where you were with, uh, you know, Investec. How, how did that whole journey for you start? Okay, well, it, it started in 1989. Um, I just left the sixth form at school and didn't know what to do, but wanted to earn money. Rather than going on to university, I decided it probably made sense to, to get a job straight away. Um, my auntie had worked in the bank previously. Inside uh, help. Absolutely. And um, she worked for Barclays locally. And, you know, always said, and both her and my mum always said, you know, it's a, it's a safe, secure job. There's great career prospects. It's a solid salary. You know, it's something yeah. that, that makes sense. So I thought, well, look, let's do the sensible thing. If I'm going to not go to university, 
the least I could do is get a you know a solid job with a good career prospect while I decide what I want to do, and then from there I can I can move on into that. Yeah, there's plenty in between, and we'll, we'll we'll get into some of that. But you know, 27 years later, I was still in the bank. So 20, it, it, that's a very long time. It must have been okay. Yeah, yeah it must have been stable. <laughs> it must have been so, stable. So she was right. You know, I, I give her that. She was yeah. right. It was yeah. definitely a a, a, a strong uh, safe safe job. Yeah. Um, so I started at Barclays Bank, which was local to me. It was an Enfield Town branch. Yeah. I used to live in Enfield Lock with with my parents. Okay, yeah, I know Enfield Lock. And so uh, yeah. Um, and so I used to take the bus to work every day. Nice. Um, at kind of 17, 18, when I started, there wasn't a uh, a particular job you could choose. Okay. Um, it was just very much at that age, you just started at the bottom. I, okay. I worked in the in a place called- And the, the bottom was? Uh, it was called the machine room. The machine uh, room. It was just a, <laughs> a big room with lots of computers in very archaic, okay. kind of chunky computers. Oh, wow. um, and we effectively processed checks and credits. It okay. was it was mundane. So like physically, a, a check yeah, would come we, in. Yeah, we'd pick them up and put them through a machine and type in the amount and the account number and Whoa. the sort code. And You see though, like it sounds very menial, right? Mm. However, because computers do all that now, don't you think there's a bunch of like 17, 16 year olds who, you know, it's just an extra job that they could have been doing. Absolutely, you know, just, yeah, yeah. yes, it's low, um, low skill level, but at the same time, it's needed sometimes while you figure out life so that you can Absolutely. still get a bit of income. Yeah, there was yeah, like so 20 of us in there. 20? It, it was a big old place, yeah. Oh big old gosh. place. There's about 20 of us in the machine room. Wow. Um, and your first, you know, when when you join the machine room, your first mission is to get out of the machine room. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was thinking of a way that they could get out to do the next job. Which, the first rule about the machine room, get out of the machine room. Exactly. Um and it was quite, uh, you know, that I think my next role was on uh, what was called standing orders. Uh, oh, I know. I used to work in the bank. I used to work in that West Bank. Okay. And yeah, standing orders. Yeah, I, do, I used to have to deal with uh, those as well. So yeah. Yeah. Well. So that was the next section. And then if you were lucky, you could become a cashier. Ooh, <laughs> life on the edge. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, all very kind of uh, mundane and, and yeah. boring looking now. But, you know, when I look back, there were some fun times. Yeah. I mean, if you're there for 27 years or 18 yeah, absolutely. years, whatever it was. Yeah, so um, 18 at Barclays. Okay. Um, and just, you know, gradually went through the ranks at Barclays. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, I, 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 haven't, I haven't told that many people this, but uh, yeah. I, was, I was the joker. It, <laughs> it took me a while to grow up despite working for a bank. Um <laughs> But, you know, I, I got to a point in the bank where I'd done okay. I'd, I was probably six or seven years in okay. and wanted to join something called Premier Banking. It was like the the, the kind of the thing to look up to. Okay, you, yeah. you either did um, you did corporate or you did Premier Banking, which was looking after the kind of high net worth clients. Oh, nice. That works. And I was the guy who was the joker. I was the guy who had the shaved head, the beard, yeah. you know, not as long as this, but <laughs> nonetheless, there was You didn't have the white stripe. I didn't have the white stripe. Yeah, that was, was that was before yeah. old age. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I went to my manager and said, I'd like to work for Premier Banking. He said, I said, what do I need to do? You know, how do I progress to that level? He's, and he looked at me and he said, Andrew, I don't think you'd get to Premier Banking. He said, with that haircut and that, you what? Know, the way, yeah, absolutely. With that haircut? Yep, because I, I had a shaved, got shaved head and he didn't, didn't like the look of it. It, it. He felt it didn't fit. Old in ideas, man, old network. ideas. Exactly. And so I'm that guy that if you tell me I can't do something, Let's go. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And so I worked and worked and worked. It was the first time I decided I wasn't a joker anymore. I grew up literally overnight. Literally because that guy said that? Yep, absolutely. And probably two years later, I got my first role in Premier Banking. And nice. It took me two years, but hey, you know, I got there. Yeah. Uh, got my role in Premier Banking. Was that through a series of like exams and uh, courses and stuff? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it was it was a mixture of doing extremely well and getting very good kind of uh, grades within the bank. Nice. Um, as in, you know, each of your appraisals each year you know getting the, getting an a in your appraisal you couldn't get into premier banking unless she was you know the proper the top right. of the top right um so i really i pulled my socks up you know i unfortunately i couldn't let my hair grow because by then i was it was i was getting a bit older and uh, no. certain parts weren't growing <laughs> um but you know so so i still look the same but it was just all about you know mindset i think okay you know, i wanted to show him that i could do that job and i could do it well Within the first year of Premier Banking, they used to do, again, you know, it was it was something that you really aspired to. They used to do, I think it was like the top 10 managers in the UK would be would be taken on holiday Wicked. and you could take your missus on holiday. That's and a so, good incentive to absolutely. push. Absolutely. That was my first, okay, you know, let's do this. Yeah. And yep, within the first year, I was in the top 10 and they paid for me and the missus along with the other nine managers to go to Edinburgh. Um, nice. We had a flight to Edinburgh. We had you been before? In, no, never been to Edinburgh, so nice. it was quite nice. Yeah, stayed in the Balmoral Hotel from memory, which That's was a, nice a hotel. really nice hotel. And they took us out, and we had meals, and it was all expenses paid for. You know, it was it was really quite cool. And I, I kind of you know felt that it, I'd achieved something. For a few years on, I I, I maintained that level. And nice. I think we went to Boston and we went to some other places for okay. the bank. For, for Traveling the being, world from just being good. Absolutely, yeah. But it's it's certainly an incentive. It worked. Yeah. I'm not sure they do it anymore, but they certainly <laughs> used to. Um, now I'm not sure people would actually go with all this COVID stuff. They'd be like, oh, no, yeah, it's yeah, all right. Maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. going to stay home. Yeah. yeah, it's a long old trip to wear a mask. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was re- I really matured very, very quickly. Really all of a sudden went from a kind of joker mentality to a, a career mentality and wanted to progress. But during that period, in the background, I was always a music lover. So in my own time, I would always be listening to music and nice. doing research about music. And you know, about- who, who was the artist for you while you were growing up? Um, so before that time, I, I first listened to music, listened to the old school New York hip hop. Nice. Uh, right from back in the day, the wow. kind of Grandmaster Flash days, yeah. the Eric B and Rakim days, yeah. the, you know, all of that kind of thing. Brilliant. Um, and it's kind of strange, and I'm probably jumping around here no, and no, there, but, but, but it's really quite surreal that some of my kind of role models and people I looked up to in them days – you know, when I was literally 12, 13 years old, listening to hip hop, I was the only yeah. guy at the school who listened to hip hop. Everyone was like, <laughs> what's, what's that guy listening to? Um, it, it's really quite surreal that, you know, I can now call some of those people that I used to look up to friends. Yeah, that's a good um, look. And they're, you know, they're clients of mine or they've been clients, you know, they're acquaintances, they're friends. Yeah. It, it's, you know, sometimes I step outside of the circle and look yeah, in. Yeah, have a look in and say, you know what? And Boy, it's, done good. It's it's really cool. Yeah. It's uh, it's really nice. And um, so yeah, sorry, going back to to, Boston to, to and my yeah. And, yeah. So I, I think my my influences certainly from a music perspective was was as I say old school hip hop, uh, in particular the New York stuff, the East Coast stuff, and I listened to that for pretty much most of the eighties. 
And then as the kind of 90s kicked in, there was this thing over on the West Coast called grunge that that had, that had started yeah. with the likes of Pearl Jam, Nirvana, yeah. um, Alice in Chains. And I was kind of mesmerized by that. Nice. Um, and it kind of changed, it didn't change my outlook in music, but it, it just... It just gave me added a, a to it, wider, yeah, wider kind of parameters. And I was like, okay, there's something else apart from hip hop. Yeah. And so kind of moved into that whilst hip hop was still there. It's always been an underlying passion. But nonetheless, it was just, it was always about music. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'd researched these people, you know, who are they? It, you know, they're, they're singers, yeah. they're rappers, they're performers, whatever. But who are they underneath? Yeah. Uh, what what makes them do what they do? You know, why do they do that? What's their background? And and watched a lot of that kind of documentaries and so on, nice. which I still do now. Yeah. To understand who these people are, and it really really interested me. You know, to the point where I had a lot of friends in the music industry, either performers or in the business, and you know, I guess that kind of that was going on in the background whilst I was working in the bank, um, and then when I got that job in in Premier Banking realized that whilst it was all about kind of looking after high net worth clients i didn't realize before i went in that that actually at that level barclays used to industry focus and i think they had something like seven industries that they used to focus on so okay. you actually you knew your clients industry um, okay and one of them was media I didn't know that that existed at the time, but you know, as as I progressed through Premier Banking, realised that they had a media division in Premier Banking. Then, up to that point, were you? What was your? Uh, it was your, no, your title, it, it was right? called it was called retail. Okay. So retail was kind of branch banking. Okay. Um, before Premier Banking, I kind of roles included things like uh, cashier, personal banker, assistant manager, branch manager. I was branch manager at various different Barclays throughout the. Okay, so you um, do, you put you put your you put the hours in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Just went through the ranks. Yeah. It was um, nothing was handed on a plate. You literally had to apply for the job, go through an assessment, do exams, um, that kind of thing. So it was okay. a, you know it was a long old slog. Yeah, eighteen years worth. Yeah, um, which is you know how long I was at Barclays. And then, um, as I say, realised there was a media division which focused on kind of TV, film, and music. But obviously, my passion was music, and therefore my focus when I when I applied for the job within the media division was obviously music. Yeah, and it was great because I could kind of bring a lot of my friends in with me, and they could be my clients, and I could look yeah. after them. And it was, yeah. uh, you know, it was a great, you know, a great feel. And for the first time, I I kind of felt that I could mix my passion and my career, and actually blend the two and, yeah. and, and actually have think, fun at work. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's the key. It's like any opportunity you have to mix your passion and make that part of or your actual job, exactly. it does take things to, a, to another level. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and so, you know, that was, you know, that was a great time in my life to be yeah. able to kind of set that off. And as mentioned, I, I guess I did pretty well to the point where in about 2007, I started to get a little bit, I guess, um, what would you call it? Maybe a bit frustrated at Barclays. Okay. Um, Why is that? Well, there was a lot of things that were changing at the times. You know, the Americans had come in. They changed the way things was. A lot of things was automated. People were being made redundant. Oh, I see. Um, and, you know, when we used to have assistants and so on, all of a sudden the assistants were made redundant. And So then you had to was, take on that load? Well, no, that it was automated. But it was one of those oh. things where you, there's certain things you just can't automate. 
Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that, that service for the yeah, level that of personal, clients. That, exactly. that personal thing, you can't get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, at that level, you know, in retail, maybe you could have got away with it. But, you know, for the kind of clients that I looked after. Um, you want to be, you know, at a certain level, you want to be able to pick up a phone and say, look, I'm thinking of doing this or da 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 and trust the person that's on the exactly. other end of the line to, yeah. you know. So when that's gone, it's just a computer. I, you know, I can imagine that wouldn't be so great. Yeah, Absolutely. And so I think, you know, it, I, I started to get a bit frustrated and a bit kind of irritable. And I thought, yeah, okay, it's probably time to change. You're still at Barclays at this point? I, I'm still at Barclays, yeah. yeah. A colleague of mine went from Barclays to Inve a bank called Investec, which okay. is a South African bank. Um, it's a South they, African bank, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Their roots are in Johannesburg in South Africa. Okay. Um, and she'd gone across to Investec. They had just closed down a business. It was some kind of... I can't remember what it was because it was just slightly before my time, but they closed down a business which was advancing against tax credits. There was this big thing back in 07, 08 where the government would allow you to um, get a tax credit if you invested in a particular thing. I think film was one of the big uh, investment opportunities. And oh, if you invested into a film, a you got a tax break for it. And the bank was lending against these tax breaks. But over the period of a, of a year or so, the revenue started to close down a lot of those schemes because they realized they were losing money. So the bank took a view that, you know, reputationally, they didn't want to be seen to be endorsing these by lending against them. Um, and so they closed the division down and were looking for something else to kind of replace that income stream. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I guess to cut a long story short, I joined the bank and they they were great in in a, you know allowing me to set up the music and entertainment division there. Um, so you set it up. I set it up. Yep, from scratch. They so, didn't have anything there before I arrived. <laughs> so when you so when you went to Investec, was there a pitch? What was the pitch? Or did they say actually okay? What I mean is, did you have to go and pitch the idea? Look, this I could create this kind of division with you, or did they say we're looking to create this kind of division? And and you were right for the job. Like which one? Which way was it? Um, it, it was probably a mixture of both. If I'm honest, okay. um, I think they were looking for something a bit different. Okay. Uh, as you can imagine, I think you know when you're doing a lot of those deals from with tax credits, it seemed to be you know footballers, musicians, that kind of thing. It yeah. was th those types of clients that were were investing into those kind of things. Yeah. Um, I guess you know if you're a footballer or a musician, how much do stocks and shares excite you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're looking for something a bit quirky, something with maybe with a you know bit of a, a protection on the downside, i.e. the tax break. Yeah. And so they found that there was a lot of those kind of uh, people investing into those things. Do you think that was a mistake though on the part of the people investing? You know, the footballers, the musicians, etc. Do you think that, how do I put this? <laughs> I think that people who, who invest well and are investors yep. officially invest in certain types of things because they have a knowledge and an inside knowledge about those types of things. And as a result, there's a certain type of investment they make. Yep. And so, you know, you just said uh, the footballers and musicians, those types of people were making this type of investment. Do you think it's because their knowledge base was different? Like if they had a, a similar knowledge base, do you think they would choose to put their money in a different place? I, I think it's a bit of all of it. It was probably that their advisors were advising them that, that they should do this. Okay. Um, now, whether it was right or wrong at the time, it was something that you know potentially could have made the money. Yeah. It was around at the time and it was legal and it was fine at the time. Obviously, the revenue started to close these things down. But I think a lot of it is led by... 
advisors recommending these kind of things. Okay. You know, I don't think your average football or your average musician would yeah. think, would think, I'll tell you oh, what, I'm going to I'm, go, <laughs> I'm go and invest in a film today. Yeah, yeah. You know, without yeah. having that advice yeah. and, and I, recommendation from... I suppose parties. what I was trying to get at is the same person who's advising the footballer or musician or whoever to invest in that scheme would have been in also making that advice to all their clients. Yeah, probably, yeah. Maybe it was related to knowledge or lack of it that sounded appealing in a certain way to a certain group of people where they think oh actually i'll jump in but then the other people who are probably way way bigger investors thought no nah, no nah, it's not for me yeah you're, you know? you're, you're absolutely right okay. i think it probably was that you know okay. if they were trying to sell it to a very very uh, savvy investor yeah they may have not wanted to do that yeah okay. on the basis that you know they probably saw the potential risks or, or whatever yeah. okay. um you yeah. know and, and as i say a lot of those ended up getting closed down and you know so yeah. But nonetheless, I think, you know, from the bank's perspective, kind of going back to the to the bank, yes. they really liked that type of client. Um, if you think about, you know, footballers and, and musicians at a, at, a, at a meaningful level, from a private bank's perspective, they're great clients. Yeah. Because, you know, think of all the touch points. If you've got a client in like that, you know, they could potentially do their mortgage with you. They're going to have, you know, potentially more than one house. Yeah. Um, Loads of friends. Keep loads of friends, you know, you know mixing the right circles, yeah. potential investments from a from a you know stocks and shares perspective to savings accounts to lending to you know whatever. Yeah. And as you say, you know, if you've got the current account of a particular bank and you go into a restaurant and you get your card out and and you know they, pay, they pay know. for a meal, <laughs> they know people people want to you know want to do that. Yeah. So it was you know something that I think the bank wanted to do more of. And then, you know, realising my connection with it, they were like, hey, Andrew, do you, yeah. Yeah, why don't, there's why one or two you, people. Just come over here, just uh, let's see Why don't you do some of this? Yeah, why don't yeah. you do some of that that stuff with your clients? Nice. Um, so you put together a, a division yep. for investing in the music industry. Yeah, to most yeah. extent. Or, or, or looking after musicians, Yeah, I guess, was probably the, you know, the, the, that kind of thing. So we started with, with purely lending and... It was effectively advancing against future royalty income secured by copyrights. And that's been the kind of overarching fundamental of my whole career from then on, okay. from, from 2008 on. You know, that, that's been something that I do right up to today. Okay. Uh, and obviously we'll, we'll get on to that a yeah. bit more later, I'm sure. But, you know, that was the first thing we did along with finding out, you know, I, I suppose, you know, going across in 2008, it was probably the worst time to change banks. Uh, the recession was just about to kick in. Banks okay. were going under left, right and center from Lehman Brothers to Bear Stearns to Northern Rock. You know, they were all going under. Yeah. And I went in to create a lending division of a bank. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't think On any the surface, banks, sounds you know, like a bit of a, yeah. a, bit of a mistake. But yeah, yeah. Prob probably slightly wrong yeah. timing. Um, and I think for the first year, I spent most of my, my uh, time at the bank just uh, persuading people to, to open cr uh, savings accounts okay. uh, to keep the bank afloat. Yeah. None of the banks were lending and you know, most of them were just trying to create liquidity by asking yeah. clients to, to put their savings with them. Um, and so a lot of the first year was that. But what that did do is give me time to be able to kind of go out into the music industry, to speak to friends and colleagues and acquaintances and have the ability to say, look, if, if we had a complete flat surface, a complete empty playing field and 
you wanted the bank to be able to assist in the music industry somewhere, what would it look like? What would you want? And I spent a lot of time doing research, probably, you know, that whole year during 2008. I think I started the bank in February 08 and, you know, really rolled the division out probably in 2009, but spent that time while we were raising liquidity and, and deposit accounts, yeah. really trying to find out where we could assist as a bank, yeah. you know, where we could make a difference, where we could add value. And I guess there were a number of things. I think the first, as I say, were being able to advance against future royalties. I think the the, the alternative at the time was probably taking advance, an advance from your record label or publisher. Yeah. You know, that the obvious downside of that was probably two things. The first being the tax element, but the revenue in both the UK and, and in the US see an advance from a record label or publisher as an earned income, and therefore you're taxed yeah, on tax, it yeah, yeah. in year one. Yeah. So if you take a 10 million advance yeah. uh, and you're a 45% taxpayer, four and a half Ouch. million disappears yeah. in year one yeah, and you net huge. five and a half. Whereas if you came to me and took a 10 million loan, you'd receive the 10 million loan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was, in, in, you know, there was a benefit to that yeah, and, and, still, and still is. Yeah. The other thing is what we were finding is if you were taking your advance from a bank or from a lender, when your management went to the record label or publisher to negotiate your next deal for your next album, they weren't over a barrel because they hadn't given you an advance. So the negotiation, you know, you, you had a lot stronger standpoint from a negotiation perspective when you're negotiating the commission uh, with yeah. the label or publisher. And so, you know, it was one of those things where we felt we could add a lot of value by doing that and, and giving those uh, advances out. And, and ultimately, it's kind of like a, it's like a mortgage. It's, you know, it's not a fancy product. It's pretty straightforward. We give the advance up front, i.e. to buy the property. Yeah. Um, we take a charge over the property, which is your copyrights. Yeah. Um, and kind of like a buy-to-let mortgage, you know, you, you use the rental income to yeah, pay the loan back. The, yeah. And when you say it like that, yeah, like, we're yeah. using the royalties to pay the loan back. Yeah. So, you know, pretty much yeah. pretty straightforward product. It's just, you know, different labels on different, on different things. Would you say, though, that the risk is, um, you know... It's a simple transaction in principle. Yeah. But I think what the key part in making what you do, that whole model work, is choosing the right clients. Yeah. So that at least your money's paid back. Agreed. And then beyond that, it's it's now a profit. You know, so that part, that which is what record companies juggle with. Yep. And, you know, a record company, people might not know, but a record company would so might sign, you know, 100 acts and three are paying for the, yeah, for absolutely, the yeah. as long as those three are either Agreed. huge or thing. And then the other 100 are either write-offs or just doing okay, or at a flat balance. So it's like, oh, actually, do you know what? It's not losing or winning. So let's keep, let's hold on yeah. because it might then roll a dice one day and it might, it might be big. So to get those three <laughs> you have to do uh, you know a hundred loans that aren't necessarily working and then you get one or two that's like ah okay that's worked I, is it a similar thing or no or um, yeah. not really no not so, really, no. so i guess the difference between what we do and what record labels do yeah. would be that the record labels effectively take a risk on the new album on the success of a new album that's correct and okay you're buying copyright though so you're buying we're not, so yeah so we're lending against the already successful catalog okay. so, so that's even more secure than yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely okay. so if if we were looking for an artist who were looking to make their next album but away yeah. from the away from the majors let's say 
Um, It'll be based on we the wouldn't income be taking, that is. Yeah, we wouldn't be taking a risk on the commercial success of the new album. Yeah. We would say, okay, well, you've made seven before. Yeah. They're bringing in X amount per annum in royalties. So we know what your estate is, is bringing, your yeah. copyright estate is bringing in. So And we'll lend against, against that, that catalogue as opposed that, to the you new. Can, okay. Yeah. So right. it's, a, it's a lot less risky. Yeah. So yeah. it works for the established act. Correct. But for the new act it's not necessarily well it's not it's not yeah. the, it's not the route yeah yeah no absolutely so okay. in, and and again i guess it's similar again keep keep taking it back to a mortgage yeah. um i think you find that where there's um if you look at the difference between say a first time buyer and they've got their you know 10 20,000 deposit or something yeah the rates for higher loan to values in a bank are higher because it's yes. but they're perceived as being a higher risk yes. whereas if you're you know, a 30% loan to value on your house because you're just selling a new one and you just want a, you know, an advance on the, the difference between the bigger house and so on. Yeah. Often at a low loan to value, you're perceived as a lower risk and therefore so it's, it's yeah. a lower rate. Okay. Um, and, I, and I think that works kind of similarly in the, in the music industry when we're doing these loans. The better uh, track record you've got, the more stable your royalties, the longer you've been performing, uh, the more albums and therefore the more diversity involved, the yeah. lower loan to value against the, the value of the rights. Yes. Um, you know, that, that makes a better a better lend for a bank. And it often the, the rates are cheaper. It makes it makes a lot of sense. So I tell you, I actually remember this yeah. is quite strange because I don't remember anyone yeah. else. Okay. But I remember the first call that you Oh yeah. You, you rang me on my mobile. And yeah. I'll tell you why I remember it was yeah, my yeah. birthday and I had a day off. Okay. <laughs> so I stopped for a moment in my life, and that's the reason I remember them. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was literally it was my birthday. I, I had a day's holiday from work because yeah. I was going out to do something with yeah. with the missus or yeah. with the family, and, the, and my phone rang, and I looked, and I was like, I don't recognise this mobile number. Yeah. Okay, let's let's just answer anyway and just see yeah. who it is in case yeah. you know. Yeah. And it was you. Yeah, and it was me, and it was me, and you know, and it was a big, um, it was a big, like I said, it was a big help, and it was a big learning curve, and it was. Um, I don't know. It's something that I hold very dear to me. You know, I've I've said it to many different people. That experience of getting that line of credit, so to speak, yep. and being able to choose who I want, where I want to work on, what I want, absolutely, is more refreshing than a number of things that I've done in my in, yeah. in my life. Just because I think where art is concerned. The artist just wants to be it to be as pure as possible. It's never fully pure because even within setting up things the way you want them to be set up, there's still, once it comes to business, during the process of promotion or whatever, there's still little compromises or there's still little um, things that go wrong or don't, don't quite go according to plan and, yep. you know, you, things that you can't really foresee. But going through that process, knowing that what you created without the 900 meetings. Yeah get you know gets to Absolutely. you know the, the, i think that's the beauty of um of social social media is a funny one but i think the real draw about social media is mm. you say something the end user gets what you said not yeah. Yeah. you say something have four meetings about it seven thing you adjust it tweak it turn it and then it gets to the you know yeah and i think that pure transaction is the beauty of of anything of any Absolutely. art yeah uh, and it, and you know what it it works for some people it doesn't work for others yeah yeah it's um yeah. you know that as with anything there's never a hundred percent hit rate on something no yeah no. um but it it does work you know we've had numerous successes yeah. um to the point where we I even featured in Music Week Music Week did a feature 
probably around the time that we, we looked at, at your opportunity. Okay. Um, they did a feature on independent albums okay. um, and an artist going it alone and doing it independently. Yeah. And one of those particular, uh, I think each artist had their own page to talk about the journey and how it, you know, how it went, whether it was successful. Uh, and I think most of them were. But one of those ones that, that I funded, and it was, I think the artist had done, I think I funded album 16. Wow. And, 16. And number 16. Well, when and you're talking about copyright estate, I mean, that's a big estate they've got. Not bad, 16. You know, I had 15 albums before that we wow. had uh, security over. But, you know, it was one of those things where the previous 15 had all been with labels, all a particular model, most I think most of them were with the same label okay and it just I think it got a bit stale yeah and so you know the artist said well the fact is it was the artist's first gold album and their first number one album wow in certain territories wow and you know they put that down to the fact that they were able to be flexible yes in how they you know how they operated it wasn't just a label saying right these are this is the radio plug this use. is what we this do this is the pr yeah, company yeah. we use this is the marketing team yeah. this is x this is y yeah. you know it was one of those things where they were able to be really flexible and have yeah. control and i think that's pro that's so uh, that is a, a key element in 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 the current environment yeah especially with the digital world being able to duck and dive so to speak yeah as things chop and change and um with a record label sometimes that can be a cumbersome process because yeah. you know you're you might want something then it needs to go through a number of filters before Absolutely. it can then be adjusted yeah i think like i said i've you know when a record company is working well you know in your moment of your moment that moment it's extremely hard to beat because yeah. when those cogs are turning and it's your time Wow, it's a powerful movement. Absolutely. Um, but everything in life goes up and down and that's just part of life. So after that, I think it's more about being efficient and knowing, okay, duck, dive, know when to do this, know when to do that. Yeah. And that's when it becomes harder in a, in a record label. Mm. Um, are you currently still with Investec? No. So no. I left Investec, okay. uh, goodness, where were we? 2016, so four years ago. I can't so, believe that's four years. I know, it's <laughs> flown. Um, wow. I guess, you know, it's one of those things where every few years I start to feel a little entrepreneurial and want to kind of push the envelope a bit further and a bit further and a bit further. And I guess the change from Barclays to Investec was, was the first time I did that, going from, from a very corporate, you know, big, massive global bank to, to something like Investec, which was a lot more entrepreneurial. It was smaller, more niche. Did they have a similar hitting power financially? Certainly from what we needed, yeah. It was, yeah, it was fine. you yeah. know, at the time it was also a FTSE 100 bank. Uh, okay. It was kind of on the cusp, you know. I don't know if you know this, but typically about, well, certainly at the time, every every quarter the FTSE do like a review and they decide who the FTSE 100 are going to be. And sometimes you'd find that, you know, number 101 and 102 would slip in because yeah. they, they, they were, were bigger than number 98 and 99 the previous okay. quarter or something. And they'd slip in. So Investec were in and out of the FTSE 100. So, you okay, know, what, yeah, yeah, in, in the top 100 biggest companies yeah, in the UK. That's big. Yeah. Um, they were certainly smaller than Barclays, obviously. But I think because of that, they were they were entrepreneurial. They empowered their staff to do things, and it was real refreshing. It was it was a Good. great place to work. You know, 
comparison to Barclays, it was chalk and cheese. Yeah. Uh, and a great progression for me. I learned an awful lot there. Brilliant. Uh, and I've got a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of thankfulness in me. Um, so then what made you leave there? I guess it was looking to take that next step again. Yeah. I was there for about eight years, something like that. You don't do halves, do you? I know. It's <laughs> not in for a day, so this is committed. <laughs> committed, um, this guy is. <laughs> So 18 at Barclays, 8 at Investec. And, then, and I decided, you know, I was sitting there one day and we were lending to a, a publishing, music publishing company who wanted to acquire some rights. You know, as they all do these days, you know, you've got hypnosis, hypnosis Roundhill, Cobalt, you name it. Yep. And these guys were, were, were acquiring some rights. They had some of their own cash and then they wanted debt for us to be able to put the remainder in. Publishing rights. Publishing catalogue, yeah. And I was doing the due diligence on the catalogue and I looked up at my boss who sat opposite me and I was like, what are we doing here? He's like, what do you mean? I said, I don't get it. I, I, I'm like, we're doing all the due diligence on this catalogue, so spending all the time doing, doing this. I said, we're putting the lion's share of the money up. We're therefore taking the lion's share of the risk. And what are the bank getting out of it? You know, a 2% arrangement fee and a 5% margin or something. The publishing company, the smart guys here, they're acquiring the rights. Yep. They're, they're receiving the royalty income for 70 plus years, yep. assuming the writers were still alive that they were buying. And I remember it that he was. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a minimum of 70 years worth of royalty income. They're only putting up about 30% of the capital and therefore 30% of the risk to sounds, some extent. Sounds like a win. And I was like... Why don't we do this as a bank? Why don't we acquire some music publishing rights as a great annuity income? It's non-correlated to the financial market. So in the next recession, chances are, you know, it, we won't be touched by it. And we've got a great asset base with a, with an, a nice annuity income. He said, I like the idea. He said, let's put a paper to the board and let's provide a business plan to them. And let's see if we can do it. You know, after all, I think there was the floor above us. There was a property team who did pretty much that. They would acquire properties and get planning permission and sell on and whatever else at a profit. Yeah. And so they were running a, the equivalent of a, you know, what I call a publishing asset, yeah. asset business, yeah. um, but in property. In that kind of thing, do they, because I think with uh, the music industry, with publishing, with, you know, record making, that type of thing, there's a, an expertise at a certain level you know, in a relationship kind of way. So if you're selling or publishing, for instance, yeah, there's the business element, but then there's the relationship element in that if they're two equal opportunities, yep. they're probably going to the person they like more, number yeah, one. Yeah. And then also the expertise of how to then get the most from that catalog. Exactly. You know? So do you then have to, apart from making the business plan, put in place people who, who you think are competent on that level, or is it just about acquiring the asset I think from the bank's perspective, yeah. my, my kind of plan was, why don't we buy writer's share, i.e. the writer's share or indeed the writer's share of publishing? And on that basis, we could keep the publisher in place. So okay. all we would be buying is we would be stepping into the, the writer's shoes yeah. and receiving their income. Yes. Um, so the writer could still be confident that if they were with BMG or Sony or whoever it is, Universal, that they would still be administering the catalogue. You know, yes, the bank okay. didn't want to yeah, be administrators. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Um, it was like, asset aside, that's quite a, yeah. a bit of an uh, undertaking if you... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. no, I agree. So yeah, we, we didn't want to become publishers from banking, you know, bankers to publishers. All we wanted to do is is own an asset yeah. and not only own the, the, the asset and the value of the asset itself, but also we love the, the royalties coming in, which is a great annuity income Perfect, yeah. that's not correlated to the financial sector. 
and you know, if <laughs> that was about two thousand and I don't know, thirteen, two thousand fourteen, maybe. Okay. And think about it. Since then, think of all the big businesses that have come on and done exactly what exactly I've just said. That. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Um, I, you know, we were. I was thinking that way before the hypnosis days, way before the yeah. Cobalt and Roundhill days. You know that. Before that, yeah, yeah. The Cobalt. Cobalt Cobalt was around, but they wasn't, you know. Yeah, no, no. There was a small, yeah, it was a small. It was just coming through, and I, you know, you hear, no, Cobalt, they, you know, yeah. they're, they're good in that, you know, they're very artist friendly, and you know, absolutely. And yeah. then, in terms of a lot of these guys, you know, whilst they're already in the business, in terms of them raising hundreds of millions of of uh, capital to acquire catalog, you know, that that's only been over the last yes, few yes. years, if we if we you know really think about it. Yeah. Um, and so. You know, going back to the the publishing thing in the bank, I was like, I think that's what we should do. You know, leave the publishing with the guys who know best, and that's their daily business. But we, I think, we should just own the asset and receive the income streams. Nice. Um, my boss was like, "Great, let's do it." So it took us about two weeks to get a paper together and get our slot in front of the board of the bank. And so you have to go and like pitch your idea. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so we we had our paper together. We went in. I think we lasted like ten minutes. <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> we were thrown out. They just didn't, like, they didn't get it. We're not a publishing company. You know, I guess quite rightly to some extent. Yeah, but you're talking about the asset side. You're not talking about Agreed. the running of the, so it is different. But, uh, you know, they just didn't see it. And, and it was okay. that, that was, I guess, was the trigger for me that, that said, okay, maybe it's now time to start thinking about the next step. Do you know what that is? Take you back to your bank. You can't do it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, hold maybe. on a second. Yeah, yeah. I can do this. So as much as you were like, okay, they, they didn't get it. I think in your core, 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 back against the wall moment, it was the the inner you. Hold on. Really? They've said that I can't do this. So I'm going to go <laughs> and figure out a way to do this. I think I, I think I should move. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that was probably the first kind of trigger. So, you know, roll on a, a couple of years and I decided, okay, 2016, it's time. Yeah. Um, so I left the bank probably kind of September, October time. I set up. How long was that after that meeting? After that meeting, it was probably about two years. You okay, know, two I, years. I'm, but, but I'm you, not but the you guy who's uh, who, who makes a decision on emotion. Like that. Bang, yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, um, that's good. That's good. It, it takes me a while to to kind of really think about things, put things in place, put put things in motion. That's good. I then also do a lot of kind of research and understanding of things. You know, what do I need? Okay, so if I was on my own and I'm not a bank yeah. and I don't have, you know billions of pounds in the background to back me yeah. and a team of you know two and a half thousand behind me wow to which was how many i think how many people were at the bank in that london head office that i was in at the time two and a half thousand yeah yeah it's hard to get something wrong there's <laughs> two and a half thousand yeah there was uh it was wow. a big old place but again compared to barclays tiny um that's tiny yeah jesus yeah barclays oh, tens of thousands in the uk of staff i'm sure Okay. That's a guess, but I'm pretty pretty yeah. certain it would be tens of thousands. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I had to do a lot of research and understand, okay, so what does my analyst guy do? And what does my right. back office admin guy do? And what does my such and such guy do? You know, whilst it was it was my team, yeah. I had to understand what everyone's what role were, was, yeah. what they did, and see, that how was I the, could mimic that. See, that was the biggest uh not challenge, but that was the biggest learning process for me when we did our business together. Yeah. Thinking, all right, great. I've got an opportunity now to do what I need to do. But how does each person's business 
run exactly and how can I make the most of it? Mm. And it sounds like the same position that you found yourself Absolutely. in at, at yeah. that point. Yeah. It was just making sure that, the, you know, I had a goal. I knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. Yeah. I, you know, I, I actually got an investor in myself to, to help me invest in the company Sweet. Uh, that I set up on the basis that I, you know, I'd come from, at the time, twenty-seven years of banking. Yeah, that's have, a pretty. Uh, you're not a just blowing there in the wind. Every single month, you know, I could rely on it. Was always there. Nice. Um, and all of a sudden, I was to the point where I was saying to myself, "If you don't make any money this month, you don't get any money." And so it was a big step. You know, I got an investor in. Um, they gave me enough money that would last me for twelve months. So I had a twelve-month runway that I had to get the business up and running, set, and making money. So I could and making money and making money, so I could live within twelve months. And you'll be surprised with that pressure on you how quickly you, you can, yeah. What is it? Necessity <laughs> it is work. the mother of invention. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. if if you absolutely have to, and people think that have to is oh, you know, uh, you know, a little bit of pressure. No, when you're under full pressure, yep, you got to dig deep, dude. <laughs> Figure it out because it won't get figured out. So That's yeah, it. That's all it. right. So yeah, so, so it, it twelve was, months. It certainly focused me. Um, <laughs> And so that's I, probably when the, the grey stripe came. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm probably. surprised it's not bigger. <laughs> I'm surprised I don't look like Santa. Um, it's you know, and and it did focus me. And again, uh, that was my next step, the next stage of maturity, the next stage of entrepreneurialism, the next stage of focus, drive. I have a mortgage. I have a wife, two children. I was doing it for all of us. It wasn't just me. Yeah. Um, you know, Which kind of it adds. Focus and pressure. Yeah. You know, because you've got your focus like, okay, I'm going to do this. But the pressure of, of thinking, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work for me and them. Yeah, and exactly. And it's that bit that, that's the hard. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. Bit. I agree. It was it was always in the kind of forefront of my mind. Yeah. Um, so you jumped? No safety net. <laughs> well, a 12-month safety net. Funny how fast 12 months goes when, <laughs> when you know you've got 12 months. 12 months crazy feels like fast. two months. And and I guess I set up I set up the business the business that the business is was and is called Nine Lives Capital, and Nine Lives Capital Nine, I like lives. nine lives I like that title yeah. Nine right. Lives Capital yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess it was always set up originally the plan was to almost mimic the bank and have my own cash that I could lend out to artists to publishing companies to record labels whoever needed cash to be able to borrow an, an advance against those future royalty incomes secured by their copyrights. And I spent probably the first three months going around to lenders saying, or, or funds or whoever it might be, saying, you know, I've done this for many, many years. I've got a great track record of lent hundred millions of pounds of on dollars of, of, of various different things. And, you know, I'd like you to now give me a line of credit so I can lend it on and, and do exactly what I've always done. Brilliant. And none of them bit. <laughs> they were they always like well, you, you've always been in that cozy little banking environment yeah. where you know it wasn't really you it was the team around you yeah. i think in anything creative i see what you're doing as creative because it's slightly out of the norm yeah you know it's to the left it's it's just on the outside on the outskirts of being business but you know it makes logical sense yeah however it's not traditional so as exactly. a result, I, I see it as creative because you've had to think, all right, cool. Well, that works over there. Why don't we just do it in this way? So it's slightly left left thinking. And artists go through exactly that same mm -hmm. thing. You know, you've sold millions of albums. Oh, but you know, you were in that cozy little. Yeah. yeah you you made Universal there. behind yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you sang all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is your notes. Yeah, yeah, you sound like that. But 
it's yeah. some other and do you know what there is expertise around everyone but there's still something that you bring to the table yeah i think anyone who has that creative mind at some point is going to come across that wall where you feel slightly underappreciated yeah you know for what you've actually uh, uh put in as well so yeah no agreed but yeah so you got just uh, knows yeah we love the idea yeah. but you know, we, we now want you as a- To go and do it yourself, an then we'll invest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like, oh, that. so yeah. I've got 12 months, you want me to do it all myself, and then you'll come in later. With, okay. with what money? Yeah. Um, what month was this? <laughs> this was, uh, when would this have been? Well, month this, this two? Was, yeah, this was probably the first, it was the first three months I've set it up. So latter end of 16. Okay, um, so nine months to go. <laughs> exactly. So I thought, okay, so this isn't going to happen until I've got this independent track record. What do I do in the meantime? And it's amazing how you're, when you set up a company with a with a, a goal in mind, how things change. Not necessarily to your overall goal, but there were always things, there were always like roads, you know, other alternative Little roads branches that, that, come that, up. that pop up. And I had, I had a, a music guy that I've known for many years ring me in that first three months and say, Andrew, I know that you don't do mortgages, but... You're my finance guy, so okay. any idea you could like help me and point me in the right direction of someone that could do a mortgage. Brilliant. And so I rang one of these banks that I'd been into, and I said, uh, you know, I know that you guys have got a mortgage division. Um, can you assist a client? The, this is what he's after, and you know, he's got this house, this this salary, this loan to value. He's looking to do this X, Y, and Z. And they said, yeah, absolutely, that fits our criteria perfectly. You know, introduce her. So I introduced for a fee. No. Oh, well, this is, Andrew, I'm what's going there, on? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> Introduced. They did the mortgage. And, you know, thank you very much. That was great. Thank you. What, a pat on the back? Two, oh, days, two days later, okay. another guy rings me. Again, old client of mine. Andrew. Just, just uh, out of the blue. Just. Yeah, just literally. He knew my mobile from my banking yeah. days. Nice. Uh, rang me and said, Andrew, I know this isn't you, but I'm just about to buy a new house and I need a mortgage. Could you point me in the right direction? Then I was like, hold on, I'm yeah. missing a trick here. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Two in the same week. Yeah. Um, and so I, I said, yep, I can. Give me 48 hours and I'll introduce you to the right person. In that 48 hours, I ring every banker I knew in the city. Yeah. Um, you guys do mortgages. Do you pay introducer fees? Yes, and, thank you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Probably three or four of them said yes. Oh, that's all right. So those are the four that, that exactly. you're gonna that you're gonna recommend. So I I done the intro to, to one of them who I felt you know worked best, best rate, best product, that kind of thing, and then thought to myself, well, actually, rather than me doing this and spending time doing this, why don't I take the next step? And some of the guys that I used to know and work with at Investec, because we we did obviously mortgages at Investec. And what used to typically happen, we'd get mortgage brokers bring us deals and, and we were the bank. It was like the other way around. And they'd say, can you do this mortgage for our client? And we'd say, you know, yes or no. So now you were suddenly in the broker's All of a position. sudden, yeah, exactly. So all of a sudden I was kind of a broker, but I thought to myself, well, hold on a minute. Rather than being a broker, why don't I take myself out as a middleman and just become an introducer? And I sign up or do a deal with a broker and so nice. they take all the, you know, they have all the regulation, they give all the advice, they go and find the best bank, the best You just rate, say, hey, product. you need to talk to him. I just do the Thank introduction. You. you need to talk to him. And take a fee. Thank you. Exactly. 
And within that 48 hours, I'd done a deal with a brokerage firm who I felt were great. I'd used them before, knew them. They were highly recommended from some other people that I'd rang around. Um, and I introduced my second guy to the broker. He found the mortgage for them. The mortgage was done. And I think I earned, I don't know, four or five thousand pounds for it. I was like, there you go. From an intro. There you go. Beautiful, man. There it is. Yeah. And so, you know, did that was that was my first earnings from 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 Nine Lives Capital. It was a mortgage nice. intro. <laughs> Do you know what? Like what we're saying about ducking and diving exactly. and being able to be malleable. That's that's what it is. Exactly so, yeah. that. And that's so good. You know that was that was a, a relationship that that now still continues. You know, it's certainly not the focus of Nine Lives Capital. No, but, it, but, but that's it, not what you wanted nice, it to be. You yeah. just wanted, otherwise, you'd have been the broker. But you're just yeah. trying to say, actually, I want to step away, but still be in. So, but, let but me. it was one of those things that kept me alive. You know, it, it helped my twelve months become kind of eighteen months. Yeah, and yeah. So, you know, I started doing the, the that side of things, okay. um, and introducing on the mortgage side. Um, in the meantime, I'm still out there looking for, you know, opportunities for, for the music lending. Um, and I got to a point, I guess, where a lot of those banks that said to me, um, yeah, we would back you if you if you had an independent track record. I said, well, look, why don't we do this? I'll get the deals. I'll bring them to you so you can see the types of deals that I, I, that I get and I'll broker them for you. So I get... You know, I get Lamar call me. He yeah. says, I'd like a loan, please. I'd like to borrow against my copyright and, you know, I'll, give, I'll, I'll route my royalties to you to repay the loan. I'll bring you to the bank, yeah. help them understand how to structure it and where the risks are and how to mitigate those risks and so on. And then you'll get comfortable with, you know, how to do that. So I built a panel of about, it ended up building a panel of probably about 12 different lenders. And that, that sounds a lot. And the rationale is that, is that not a lot? Uh, it, it it sounds a lot. Okay. Um, but the rationale is I needed that because what I found was, and, and and I guess not knowingly, but it was one of the reasons I probably left the bank is because everyone had different criteria. You know, from from Nat West to Barclays to Coots to whoever. Yeah. You know, they were well. We only deal with personal clients, not corporate, or we only deal with UK clients not US clients, or we only deal with, only want to do deals over a million I see. And, and not below, or they might might want to do deals over a hundred thousand and up to a million. You know, there was always something, yeah. some piece of criteria that the bank had. And therefore, you know, in any given deal, I'd pro out of 12 odd lenders, I probably only had one or two I could go to that would fit their criteria. I see. Because, you know, if I got someone from the US, or all of a sudden it would eliminate six of them okay. because they didn't deal with US clients. For so example, in order to be able to be more effective, you needed you needed 12. I needed, yeah, yeah, I needed a bunch of these things. Yeah. But one of the things, you know, and, and we brokered a number of deals across those various different banks and funds and whatever that I, that I had. But, you know, underlying, I always wanted to have my own capital should we say relationship so with someone to be able to lend myself yeah. and make those decisions and i think the rationale behind it was i've always been rightly or wrongly but i've always been the guy that focused on the client not necessarily focused on the bank whilst from a risk perspective i always focused on the bank because obviously i didn't want me and the bank to lose money you know it's my bonus that at the end makes of the sense day. Yeah. but actually from a service perspective I kind of cared more about the client, the end client, because yeah, ultimately yeah. that was the person that was paying our salaries. Yeah. Um, and also I think that's why ultimately 
whatever you've done that has worked has worked because the client has felt like no this person has a genuine passion and a genuine interest in what they're doing it it doesn't sound like just numbers it sounds like no this this person actually cares and no that's cool yeah i actually want to do this exactly i think it's all about relationships so you know you touched on it a moment ago didn't you say you said about publishers and you have two publishers that are pretty much level who do you go with the guy you like the most you like yeah and, exactly and it's, that. you know it's the way it is yeah and so you know i've always been the the guy that always really really looks after the client you know, provides great service will always answer the phone even on their birthday when they have a day <laughs> off <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> um and it, it it's you know it is about that kind of relationship building it, and you know to be honest the my my kind of my growth in the industry, should we call it, and my career progression has, has predominantly been word of mouth. All my future clients or, or, the, or the next client has always been usually one saying, oh, you should do this. You, you need to speak to this guy. That's good. Um, a lot of it is very much kind That shows of, that, you, you know, it's genuine what you're doing. Otherwise, someone's not going to recommend you on a personal level. Do you yeah, know what absolutely. I mean? So, you know, we, we never advertised anywhere. We, you know, we yeah. didn't have billboards or magazine adverts saying, you know, you should do, you should yeah. come to Investec or you should go to Nine Lives Capital. It's, uh, yeah. you know, that's the place to lend. Yeah. It was always really word of mouth and, and still continues that way now. Brilliant. Um, so did you make that transition then? Like from having the 12 to leaning towards having your own kind of like line or, or line of credit or, or no. are you doing a mixture of both? I don't know. Um, so... There's a little bit in between, and okay, yeah, no, let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, After after I'd done a bunch of bunch of those deals and and brokered the deals, I then got the track record to be able to then go and um, get my own cash, (gasps) should we say? Absolutely. Um, But in the meantime, I I kept going back to the whole. I want to get involved with the acquisition of 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 copyrights as well, which is the bit that I mentioned in the bank which really interested me in owning rights and, yeah. and getting a royalty income yeah. and so on. So started to broker some of those deals as well. Um, nice. Become a consultant for a number of kind of publishers and independent record labels and just investors who wanted to acquire music copyright for the, for the investment purposes, you know, owning a, an asset and receiving a royalty income that was non-correlated to the financial market. So they didn't, you know, didn't have a risk in a, a recessionary period. And so started to do a lot of that, managed to build up some commissions ourselves from these deals and the lending deals and got to a point where we could then invest into some of the smaller ones. So nice. Nine Lives was then buying copyrights and, and, and royalty income streams. Here we go. You must have been getting slightly excited then like, yes, we've got, one, we got one or two exactly. under our belt. No, come on. Exactly. And so, you know, the, the whole thing over the, the four years that it's been up and running. Four years? Four years, 16 to 20. We're, we're, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so four years that it's been going has, has really kind of evolved. I guess the two smaller things, are we still do the mortgage intros and we do some foreign exchange stuff. So as you can imagine, the music industry, foreign exchange, big artists, they're all yeah. global. Yeah. Music companies, they're all global. So we assist with foreign exchange. I do that for a company called Centrip, who are, who are really good guys. I've had a deal with them, similar timing. I think it was my first three months again at Nine Lives. Okay. <laughs> um, again, just off the back of a few calls, Andrew, you used to do this for me at Investec. Where do I go now? And so rather than kind of going back to Investec to you know, send them back, I was like, I can probably make a, a turn on this. That's a good look. Um, yeah. So again, did a deal with those guys and um, you know, I get a 
I get a commission for anything they do, yeah. a, a part of their commission. And so that was another, you know, small introducer kind of income. But, you know, the two big things that, that I always wanted to do was the lending, which I was brokering, and the acquisitions, which I was also brokering. Roll on a couple of years, I've got the track record, I've brokered a bunch of deals, we've got, you know, on both sides, we've got the acquisition deals that I've brokered and acquired a couple myself on the smaller side and a number of lending deals with some of the banks and funds. And I then meet up with someone who was very interested when when Nine Lives was was an embryo uh, in getting involved and investing into Nine Lives. We then cross paths again a few years later, and they said, "You know, are you still doing that? You know, how did Nine Lives go? Is it is it is it going okay? Did you get some deals? Blah blah blah." And it had, you know, it, it was doing well. And we said, "Well, look, we always wanted to do this. Why don't we try and join forces and go out and try and get this money that we always wanted to 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 actually lend ourselves now?" What were they doing? That was is that a bank? Uh, no, it wasn't a bank. It was okay. uh, an ex banker. And it's bank card. Okay. All right. I thought it was a bank. I was going to say, ah, you know, well, now I've actually done it. Now you're going to lend me. Okay, thanks. Yeah, well, Very exactly. Nice. Yeah. Okay, um, so it was, a, it was another banker. And okay. Another banker. So we joined forces and we went out to a, a bunch of lenders, back out to banks, family offices, funds, yeah. and said- We've got a track record. This now. is what we want to do. We've got an independent track record of doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, are you interested? And we got to the point where we had a choice. <laughs> Where, where we were going for everyone was saying no now uh, it's like everyone was saying yes and we could choose who, who we okay, wanted to good. who we wanted to go to um and we we finally chose you know we we as you say relationships who you who you mesh with who you mold with we finally met with some guys who we really took a liking to which were uh, a family office here in London. Uh, oh, wow. well, we're not in London at the moment, but yeah, yeah, in yeah. London where my office is. Yeah. Um, in London, and we, we really moulded with those guys. You know, they, they, they really applied their mind. They were, were really, really smart and really bought into the whole thing, was actually interested in it. Nice. Um, we spent probably about three months going through every eventuality, and I used to, I was bringing in music lawyers and music valuers and whatever to, to really get them to understand each different area and each area of risk and how we secure things and whatever. And, you know, after, after those three months, we signed a deal. We created a, um, a new brand, a new business called First and Rivington, which I created out of a trip to New York uh, a couple <laughs> a couple of years back. I was staying in this area yeah. called Rivington on the Lower East Side, okay, and just fell in love with the area. Yeah, Rivington. Rivington. So it's a street on the Lower East Side. Uh, it kind of crosses Bowery and Delancey. Nice. Uh, How long were you there for? Uh, I'm I'm in New York probably every other month on business because it's the music industry, oh, right? Always in Rivington. Uh, no, 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 okay. no. Why, I, like, why, like, how long were we in Rivington before you? Like, oh, why? Um, what caused you to fall in love? Probably over? a week. I was out there for a week on business. Okay. Um, and I, don't, I can't remember what happened. I was out with some clients, and they, I'd booked a hotel for a few days. I think I was only, I'd only booked for like three days to to go to New York, and it all kind of kicked off after about two days. And I was like, oh no, I need to stay longer. So I went to my reception at a hotel, and they're like, sorry, sir. Uh, you know, nowhere, yeah. no Store, spare rooms close, for yeah. the next three days. Um, so, oh, my God, you know, where do I go? Yeah. Um, and one of the people I was with, they said, oh, we're, st- we're staying in some hotel in Rivington somewhere on the Lower East Side. I was like, okay, well, I don't know where it is, but, you know. I've got to go in there. I'll, yeah. I'll stay with you. Yeah. Um, so I went there, booked a room 
thought, oh, I'm not sure I like this area. It's a bit bit dumpy. It's oh, is bit, it? Yeah, it's not great. But then, you know, after the three or four days I was there, I really fell in love with it. Right. I did a bit of, again, typical me. I did a bit of research around it. <laughs> there was this, uh, there was a pop-up store on the corner of Rivington and, and another road. I can't remember which it was, which I saw kind of progressing each day. It was this big green building. It was a, just a regular store. And there was these guys in and they were, they were painting it bright green and there was fluorescent orange in the windows. I was like, what's this? <laughs> bright. It, was, it was totally out of character for yeah. the area. Yeah. You know, everywhere was just like a pizza place or, a, okay. you know, a dodgy clothes store or something with cheap clothes <laughs> and hor- horrible. It, well, it wasn't a great wasn't place. Enough, yeah. But this store, this store started taking shape. And on the last day, all of a sudden I saw gold LV signs going up. And it was a pop-up Louis Vuitton store. Whoa. <laughs> Virg- Virgil from uh, Off-White yeah. was doing a pop-up store for, for Louis uh, for the month of July, I think it was. It was just for a month. Oh, man. That's and different. all of a sudden, you know, it, 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 it really drew my attention to the area as opposed to just what I saw on the yeah. surface. Once you saw Louis V, though, you're like, it must be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent's not that bad. You know what? I think he did it for the same reason. I I haven't spoken to him about it, but I think he did it for the same reason. Okay. It was just like a cool, trendy area. Yeah. Whilst it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't Fifth Avenue, it wasn't Broadway. It was was a kind of strange area to have it. But getting there first. But it was cool and trendy. Yeah. Um, And it, it just made me want to do a bit of research around the area. And, you know, I remembered from my old hip hop days, that there was a, there was a song. There was a guy. I think his name was Dana Dane. Okay, and he did this song called Delancey Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was on Delancey. Oh, and thinking, you're like, oh my god, on. yeah. You know, it's it's way off the beaten track for, yeah, yeah, for holidaymakers. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was, you know, I was on this street, and I was like, okay, so why did Virgil choose that place? So I started to do some research and found that the that that shop was used by the Beastie Boys on their oh, nice. f- on their second album the one after License to Ill. Yeah. I think it was called Paul's Boutique. Yeah, yeah. Um and they it was a, it was like a um, a clothes store I think but it sold nonsense you know scarves and stuff. And they had it redesigned just for the photo shoot and called it Paul's Boutique. Okay. And it was the album cover of their yeah, of their album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously all the stuff come off and it went back to its, it's, it's normal veg yeah. store or clothes <laughs> store or whatever it was. So Louis um, V decided to like And it's the same yeah. store. And I'm like, okay. oh my God, this is so cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um and so, you know, when when I had the and then and then the brand coach um, yeah, coach. Yeah. Do you know, coach? coach. Yeah, coach. So they also, just, at the same time, just started to do this range called Rivington. And when I read oh. up about it, they done rucksacks yeah. and stuff like that, uh, leather rucksacks uh, in, in the form of Rivington. Cool. And um, it's just like it just all kind of amalgamated into this big pot of yeah. of kind of Lower East Side Rivington. Yeah. Bowery was on the corner, which was the old CBGB's club, and yeah, where, you yeah, know, yeah. which is where a lot of yeah. the, the big artists all yeah, kind of then. made their debut yeah, yeah. on the live world, and it just it just felt right. Yeah, yeah. And it was you so know, inspired very by music. That. Yeah, it was just very music orientated. Yeah. yeah. And so we had the the, the old rap in Delancey. We had the CBGB club. We had the Louis Vuitton. We had yeah. the Paul's Boutique. It's like uh, a hub. Yeah. Exactly. And so when they said to me, the guy, the, the investor said to me, what should we call this brand? I was like, it has to have Rivington in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I, I kind of thought about a, a kind of a, a typical American street name and we called it First and Rivington. First and Rivington. Yeah, because so, it's always like where two streets yeah, exactly. So First and Rivington. Nice. So that's, uh, that's where the name come from. And whilst it's, you know, it's, only a, it's only a brand that we've got a landing page and whatever else, 
that's the name on the on the you know on the on the term sheets and yeah. on the agreements and yeah. so on. First so, first yeah. sounds very uh, you know so to, high to, end as well. <laughs> good, first yeah. and Rivington. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, doesn't sound very English though, does it? But hey, ah, it um, I guess you know a lot of our clients are also know, US artists. So yeah. Um, so that's that's where you're at now. So so that's where we are now. So Nine Lives Capital still lives. Um, okay. It still does the the the. the brokering of, of music catalogs. First and Rivington is the lending. And we now have our own funding within First and Rivington and we do our advances against uh, against future royalties secured by the copyrights. And Brilliant. we can do that off our own back now. We don't have to go to those banks anymore. That's really, that's a... That's who a, don't understand the music That's a long journey. Mostly. That is, that is a, yeah. a big step, like, to be able to say, we can lend the way we want, how we want. Exactly. And also, you didn't just turn up there. You had to work hard There's to get that track to record. Get to, Absolutely. Yes. And, and you know, really it's it's ticking all the boxes for me. You know, we do provide the service. We do provide the understanding of the industry. Yeah. And most importantly, I think, we provide what a lot of the lenders out there, i.e. the banks and funds, don't because of the flexibility and really yeah. understanding yeah. the industry. Yeah, it's uh, a very unique thing, the music industry, because it can attract a lot of money. Yeah. But because it's usually, you know, it's quite sporadic. Yeah. Apart from, I say catalog. Catalog, you know, it's quite a, a consistent kind of uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, income. But it's very hard to calculate yeah. the full income of an artist because it's from so many different streams. And, and what will affect it. Yeah. No, and what I will guess, affect yeah. it and what, you know, and what's stable and what isn't stable. Absolutely. So to go to a standard bank and say, oh, no, but look, everything is all right or or is going to be amazing or, or isn't. It's kind of a hard thing. So it really does take a lot of understanding and yeah, someone really who's really been doing it for industry. years to say, actually, yes, I think I under, you know, it's correct what you're saying. And yes, yeah. we can lend against that or not. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, a very, it's a good niche that you've, you, you, you've Absolutely. found. It's, it's quite strange understanding all the risks. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It, it's weird. And, and I think, and again, I think unless you've seen it or unless you've spoken to people about it, I think uh, you know the, the the uneducated, shall we say, wouldn't realise some of the risks. I was actually on yeah. a, on a phone last night to a drummer in in okay. LA who's looking to borrow some money on the basis COVID's kicked in. Uh, the world tour that he had as part of his you know with his band yeah. uh, was was postponed to next year. Yeah, the support slot for one of the biggest bands in the world that they were doing as part of this year also Done. was postponed till next yeah. year. And it has really the six or seven festivals that they were signed to do are also postponed till next year. Yeah. And so he's like, Oh my God, I need some money. You know, there's yeah. a big hole in my cash flow. And it, it it was like he's like, Okay, so tell me the pros and cons. So I told him all the pros of advancing against royalties. And he said, Okay, so tell me the cons. If that sounds great. There must be some 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 risks. And I said, Well, the risks are on my side. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. this is what I do to mitigate them. You know, one of the things I said, which was which he he said, oh, my God, I wouldn't have even dreamt of that, is what we call disgrace insurance. You know, there's there's so many... The, the disgrace insurance? Disgrace insurance. So that's one of the risks that, you know, a lot of banks probably wouldn't even think of. And effectively, if we look at Jimmy Savile, we look at Harvey Weinstein. Oh, God. Um, but that's exactly it. It's disgrace. Yeah. So imagine you had an artist... In fact, you have had artists yeah. um, that do something bad and disgrace themselves, whether it's the Me Too movement or, or you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And all of a sudden, their brand goes from hero to zero overnight, overnight because yeah. of that. Yeah. 
Yeah. All of a sudden, my role nowadays to probably zero. over at the half course. We've got Twitter and Instagram in yeah, an afternoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they're the kind of risk that we have to mitigate as lenders because if you can imagine, who's going to buy a ticket for someone who's been uh, doing that? Maybe not. Who's going to buy a CD? Who's going to download? Who's going to stream? Who's going to – exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so there's those kind of what we call shit happens risks yeah. um, that you don't necessarily think about as a banker, yeah. but there's certainly real risks in the, very, very in the world. Very, very real. Yeah. Um, and so we take disgrace insurance, insurance where we lend into an individual as opposed to a, a, a corporate or even a writer. Sometimes where you lend into a writer and they've they've written for 40 different artists. They're the kind of invisible man in the background yeah. and the artist is already diverse. Yeah. So, you know, quite often that's okay. But where yeah. you lend into an artist who's an artist, a performer, and everyone cares about what they do, and as you say, social media would kill them if uh, – if there's something bad there, Complete we have to take that that insurance yeah. to oh. protect us against those kind of things. So that's one of the yeah, that's one of the that's the, one of the, the risks the, that the, you know you don't think of. Yeah. And I mentioned it to this drummer last night, and he was like, "Oh my god, I didn't." You know, I, I guess similar to reaction, reaction to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my god, I didn't dream really? of that. You know, well, but, but, but when you think but, about but it, it it's like it makes total <laughs> sense. Exactly. That's brilliant. Cool. So that's where you are now. So really, so then, if there's anyone uh, listening who has a huge catalogue. <laughs> And is thinking, do you know what? I want to do something slightly different than um, first in Rivington. I want to make some or, money out of or, it. Yeah, or nine lives, uh, nine lives Capital Absolutely. as well. Andrew's the man. I can uh, testify. I've done business with Andrew and it was a very positive experience. And um, I learned a lot from it. And yeah, I think if there's anyone in the right position, it's definitely a call they should make and something that they should look into. So Excellent. yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for talking today. I think we've taught people something and it's been nice catching up and more importantly, seeing the beard with the white stripe. <laughs> <laughs> it was my pleasure. Yeah. It was great to catch up as we'll well. do it again sometime. Indeed. The Andrew Michael. Yes, that was a lot of information. A crash course on lending, uh, back catalogs, copyright and copyright acquisition. I know that might have been a bit deep for some of you. And for others, it was probably just what you needed to hear. Big lessons. Hopefully, some knowledge has been passed on. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like today's show, please do subscribe. And if you can, take a moment to rate this podcast on iTunes. It really does make a huge huge difference. I appreciate you and your time. Remember, if you've got any questions or suggestions for the show or for me myself, please feel free to email me. It's Lamar at the Lamarshow.com. That's Lamar, L-E-M-A-R at the Lamarshow.com. If you're an artist or a musician and you need some advice, feel free. All right, let's do this again next week, my friends. Peace. Peace.